You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. As part of our NFT compilation today, I've brought in Matt Collin, who is the global president of music at YMNU Group, which manages pretty cool clients. Steve Aoki would be one of them. And I'm going to let him rattle off a couple more in a second. And yeah, I mean, Matt and I were in two NFT chats, I believe. And yeah, he's been doing some interesting stuff and creating some interesting stuff too. I thought thought it'd be great to have him on. So Matt, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, How are you doing? Hey, like we just said, World War Three, right? We're, we're just trying to get by. So go ahead. You're going to say something. As I say, depending on when you're listening to this, we're, we're, we're either celebrating or, 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 or there's nothing to listen to. But let's see. <sighs> anyway, so Matt, tell us a little more about kind of what your story, your background, and then maybe some other cool names that you work with. Sure. So I've worked with Steve Aoki, the DJ, the producer, all of the things he does for almost 20 years. It's going dating back to like uh, sometime in 2004. Started a company called Dexstar with Eminem's manager and a few other, and my other partner, um, Lawrence Favre, who managed DJ AM at the time. We began managing Travis Barker, then Think 182. And then over the last, you know, say 15 plus years, we've grown and merged with other companies. And so now we are a management company for different categories sports, music, entertainers, social media influencers, authors. We even have business management. And we recently launched an arts division for digital artists. But on the music side specifically, I'm the global president for music. So I oversee our LA, London, and New York offices. And those artists are, like I said, Blink-182, Steve Aoki, Common, you might know Bush, Blau, very relevant to the NFT space. RAC was another very early innovator in crypto and the RAC and the NFT space. And, you know, a bunch of bands, Rancid, List Fair. It's a pretty wide and diverse roster. A lot of electronic and rock, though. Got it. Actually, Blau's coming up on the interview docket as well. So it's going to be fun. So, I mean, as a music executive, I actually was just speaking with uh, Justin Khan. So he's got a gaming NFT take on it, right? You've got a different take on it as well. So how do you look at NFTs as it relates to kind of the world of music and entertainment in general? That's a really good question. So music, NFTs, nobody knows. The, the short answer is it's the least developed version of NFTs to date. Of all, actually, of the arts, right? Reason being is music artists don't tend to own their own work. They have record labels, they have publishers. There's a lot who, you know, it's traditionally in music, people give away or sell off their rights or have someone administrate their rights, mostly because it's a complex and nebulous system of royalty payments and accounting and collecting. problem that creates is when you have a new media form, you know, who collects that income? who gets that income. And it's so complex and it's so much legal involved. It takes a pretty bold person to try and tackle it all. Blau is, you know, taking a stab at it with Royal. That said, you don't have those issues, particularly in visual arts. You know, people own their IP and it's just common law. So video gaming, again, it applies pretty easily. You know, people are already buying and selling digital items that have been for more than a decade in gaming. So this is just adding another layer to it that adds, adds actual true ownership. Even though I do, I, you know, from what I understand, there is a bit of a, I wouldn't say a backlash, but it's, it's it, NFTs are controversial in the gaming community as well. And I do think a lot of the gaming stuff right now is very like, they say play to earn. It feels more like earn to play. Like the earn comes before the play. I and mean, at the end of the day, all these like NFT games 
kind of feel like <laughs> Ponzi-nomics. Yeah. Like eventually the game stops being fun and the income runs out and everyone just ended, you know, you get out before everyone else. There hasn't yet been, and there's one called Critters, which is really interesting because they're based on Minecraft. There hasn't yet been a truly great game that has, you know, the benefit of NFT technology on top of it versus let's create NFTs and then back into a game. Yeah. But yeah, that's not your question. So your question is on the music side, unlocks a huge opportunity. I think music, the art form in NFTs is hard and difficult and complex. I'm sure somebody will tackle it and somebody will figure it out. It just might take longer than everyone expects. But the idea of connecting with a fan in a direct kind of own relationship, your NFTs accomplish a lot of things for musicians. They allow that conversation to happen. You know, traditionally music is a one-way platform. I make the music, you listen to it. You know, you buy it, you consume it. You're, I'm, I'm on stage and you're the audience. The best you can do is kind of shout out requests. You know, and NFTs suddenly were this is back and forth financially and even like through Discord and through community. You know, it's a different relationship traditionally between the creator and the collector, right? Moreover than that, you know, you can now sort of tokenize membership. You know, you can build community that's tokenized, and then you know, there's a lot of there's income streams that you can you know, which are you know get into some gray areas, but there's just a lot of ways to do it. And lastly, I think most importantly, it gives musicians, artists, creators freedom that they didn't otherwise have. I saw somebody else was asking, what do you think of like Neil Young taking his music off of Spotify? You know, that's great for Neil Young. No one listens to his music on Spotify. Yes, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's a gesture. But, you know, for a young artist who wants to break to do that, that's giving up their career. You know, NFTs though allow freedom of choice. You might be able to, somebody who really wants to come may be able to say like, you know what? I don't need Spotify. I will let my audience consume on Audius through NFTs. I can actually have a sustainable financial career in music without Spotify or Apple or anything. Not Spotify, I don't want to hold them. Like it gives you another choice. And I think at the end of the day, it's all, all people, all you can ask for is choice. And right now there isn't choice. You're either on those big platforms or you're not heard. Yeah. You know, the reason why I'm doing this series right now too is because, you know, people, our audience, I mean, they kind of look down on NFTs right now. They're like, this is a scam. You know, why are you guys even talking about this stuff? So, you know, I think your experience, you know, spans, it's a pretty, it spans pretty broad, I would say. So what would you say are the kind of the implications moving forward with NFTs and marketing? So my take on it is marketing is going to get harder, right? And like NFTs, like they're going to be a staple. So how do you look at it? I just, the whole, like, it is such a boomer mentality to be like, I don't get NFTs, right? Like there was a time where the white man walked onto land and met a Native American Indian and said, hey, you're on my land. And the Native American who has no concept of land ownership is like, what are you talking about? I'm on your land. It's land. Nobody can own it. It just is. So, you don't know. Here's a piece of paper. It says I own the land you're standing on. He's like, stop me. I'm sitting here. I'm standing on your land. It's, exa- it's the right click save mentality. Right. Like one day we just introduced the concept of land ownership. Now we own it. Now it exists. Why is going back to the music example, how is a song NFT any different than a vinyl album? No one's listening to that vinyl album. You know, people vinyl sales are through the roof right now. They made this big comeback. Why? Is it because everyone loves the sound of vinyl? No, it's because people do want scarcity. They want ownership. I love Taylor Swift. And 
I don't feel any sense of ownership by listening to her song a thousand times on Spotify. I want to own the music, right? Music itself, it's an intangible. What are you buying? You're buying a piece of plastic with grooves on it. It's all intangible. Why is a digital file anything different than spray paint on a wall? Why is Banksy worth anything? Why is anything worth anything? Because we ascribe value to it. And for a generation that has grown up without car ownership, without music ownership, oftentimes without land ownership, right? Airbnb, rentals, Uber, everything is a digital asset. They still want to own things. And if everything is in the is ethereal, if everything is digital, why wouldn't you assign value to a digital item? It just boggles the mind that you wouldn't own a digital item. That's actually what's more confusing. Why couldn't you own a digital item? Why can't you own anything? It's just anytime you own anything, it's because the person doesn't take it from you. It's all a social construct. Yep. Everything around us is, I mean, the whole, like, when you buy a house, you're really buying the signature. You're buying the deed, right? So, And, and you own that house only so much as the person next to you says you do. I mean, look what's happening in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. They have a country. Putin says, no, you don't. You only own it so much as I let you own it. Yep. It's all based on social construct and where we place value. We value land. We value physical goods. But a generation that has grown up, I mean, if you are 21 today, you were born in 2001, you never lived without the internet. You never lived without dial. You never lived without fast internet. You've had, as far as you know, a 21-year-old, there's always been Wi-Fi. You're seven years old, right? There's always been an iPhone. There's always been... For most, there's always been at least MP3s, and at the very least, there's definitely streaming service. Like your whole life is a digital era. It doesn't make any sense. Why can you own everything but a digital file? It just it goes against what you would expect. It's just tough when you grew up owning physical things, and like that's I can just right click and save. Yeah, but I can also take a picture in front of someone's Ferrari. Doesn't mean I own it. Exactly. Yeah. And this leads well into the project that you guys are working on right now. So do you want to talk about that for a second? Because I, I think, and by the way, I, like I signed up because A, I believe in you guys, but also because I really want that jacket. So that's why I bought one. But anyway, <laughs> go for it, Matt. So sure. So going back to the other thing I was saying, you know, so Steve Aoki, not tackling music NFTs because it is a you know nebulous web and somebody will figure it out. And I don't think that we are the smart enough guys to do it. But what Steve does own is his fan base and his relationships. So what we put together is a community that it'd be great if you're a fan, you get into shows for free by owning this NFT, you get meet and greets, you get cake, you get free merch, you get all these great AOK experiences. But if you are not a fan, you would still want to be a member because regardless of whether you like the person or the music, you can't deny that he has a network and relationships. So what we've done is taken 20 years of his relationships and leverage them all into this one community. So, you know, the first thing we're doing is a boy George NFT. You know, that's just, we have relationships in the music industry. People are launching projects and, you know, the Aussie one did so well. Same team is doing boy George. We have that relationship. We can offer a whitelist. Steve has brand partners for years and years and years of being in the business. We're not going to those brand partners saying, hey, give a free gym membership to our community give access to NBA tickets, you know, anything that we've had in relationship with. And by the way, that's not just IRL, that's all the web free stuff. He's done deals and we've done stuff with that fellas, doodles, plow, Zipsy. I mean, where there's a big conversation happening with Jay Chow who did uh, Fanta Bears. Like, 
Steve's network is so vast and so deep in the real world. As I told people when we were launching this, Steve is not the biggest musician in the world. He's not the richest person in the world. He's not the biggest collector of NFTs. He's not the biggest creator of NFTs. He's not the most sponsored person ever, but he is the one person that's all of those things. There are a lot of, and nobody tours. One thing he does have everybody, he is the Guinness Book of World Records holder for most miles traveled in a single calendar year by a musician. He is the most toured artist in history. So the one thing I can do, number one, is I can promise you there'll be a show in your town. One way or another, it's coming. But he can actually hit all these buttons that nobody else can. So essentially what we built was a membership community that's tokenized. It says, if you own the NFT, we can now make sure you get access to all these opportunities in IRL, in Web2. We did deal with Shopify, ticketing agencies. So your traditional Web2 experience can now be token-gated, whether you're buying tickets to a show, a movie, et cetera. And we can actually track that and, and make sure you're getting access based on NFT ownership. And then what everyone would kind of expect and what I'm sure everyone is, you know, the quickest immediate gratification is NFT and Web3 rewards. You know, we've got all those relationships. You know, everybody is a DM away. I mean, we're, we're launching a channel right now on his Discord. Like, what projects are you guys most excited about? Steve will reach out and, you know, we'll see if we can secure whitelists for our collectors. Like, just having that, and it goes back to my earlier thing. Obviously, that's a very NFT-specific thing. But to be able to have a Discord and say, what is it you guys want? Like, I can go out and bring you a bunch of rewards, but maybe you have something in mind. Tell me what it is, and maybe we can go get it for you. Yeah, that that is only really achievable through this whole world of Web3 that you know, has been unlocked through NFTs. Got it. And it's called Iokiverse, right? Iokiverse, spell it funny. Hard the, to Google. The, <laughs> well, it's Aoki, his name, and verse, but, uh, and it works if you really want to. I guess that does work for Google, a, yeah. Yeah, A0K1. But, you know, again, you know, we, trust me, we, we secured all the, like, misspellings because we knew we going into this. Just type it Aoki and verse. Google will get you there. But yeah, aokiverse.xyz. Got it. What's the play with this? I mean, because I know just, you know, talking to you and then knowing of Steve, it's not like a short-term cash grab. So what's the play here? Sure. So there's two plays. One is, you know, Steve has always done a bunch of projects and has brand partners and events. And it's all a little bit disparate because there wasn't a real web two way of tying it all together outside of like a traditional fan club, which is very sort of transactional and feels cheap. So number one is being able to tie all of the experiences in his life into one narrative and then to make the community part of that. Instead of trying to like go click here and buy like every influence, like buy this and click here to buy that. Like, why can't I have everyone come to one place and say, don't worry about buying. We'll get it to you for free or we'll get you a discount or you'll get the exclusive one that no one else gets, like that kind of thing. But the bigger thing is what we built is something called the Passport. The NFT itself is looks like a, a futuristic passport out of like Minority Report. It's cool because it lets you, it's fully dynamic. It lets you import your PFP. You get to choose your ENS name. It shows when it was minted. And then what we can then do is we actually stamp your passport as you do things in the Aokiverse. So you go to a show, you buy an NFT, you join the Discord, all those things get stamped onto your passport. So you can actually, it becomes almost like a scrapbook of your activities. And I'm, you know, I'm sure you, you know, if you ever went to a movie before 2005, you might have those ticket stubs of your favorite movie. They don't exist anymore. No one has a physical ticket anymore. I got QR codes. 
you know, if we're kind of reintroducing the idea of like, look, someone can actually, someone can go to your OpenSea account profile, click on that NFT and actually flip through your Aokiverse NFT and see all the things you've done. But the longer term version of it is what we, it took us a little over six months to launch this. We announced it two, three weeks before we did it. All that time wasn't spent marketing. That time was spent building, to build token gating with Web2 companies, first to get their permission, then to access their API, then to, to troubleshoot it with them. All that work isn't worth it for one person, for a Steve Aoki. So the long-term version of this is allowing access to other communities to create their own passports. So there could be a Doodles passport. There could be a Snoop Dogg passport. There could be anybody who has an audience. It could be a Gary Vee passport. Like it can coexist. We gave the passports away. It can coexist with your traditional NFT that you're already spying and selling. The problem with your traditional NFT is it's a static asset. Right, your board ape is your board ape is your board ape. The metadata is the metadata. You can't track the board ape, so to speak. So the board apes could theoretically say hey, we're going to make a board ape passport. We would just white label it. We just create recreate it. They create their own passport, but all of that functionality is built in. And then where it gets really interesting is then you think of it like kind of like your code sharing on airlines, or you know, oh, if you have the Aoki passport, if you have the board ape passport, you can get the Aoki shows for free. And you have Aoki passport. You can get access to the allow list for the new Snoop Dogg drop. As long as we're all in the same sort of ecosystem, then we all sort of have a, a similar interoperable capability. That's the long-term version is like the passport. Steve is just the first one to use the passport. We built it and he's going to, he's kind of the guy running through a, a brick wall. We already have made mistakes. So we will make more mistakes and hopefully we work on some of these kinks. We get everything up and running and we start allowing other communities to use the same technology. Yeah, you know, what I've been saying is like people that are looking to get into the NFT world, you're basically building a startup, you're crowdfunding, and then you're building a company. And those that I think those that actually have operating experience have a leg up here. And so I'm excited to see what you guys do. And so one thing I want to talk about. So just three more questions from my side. So the documentary, Steve's documentary, I'll sleep when I'm dead. So you did that one, right? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, okay, just so people know, actually, I'll let you explain what that documentary is all about. And then uh, then I'll ask the question. Go for it. Why don't you ask a question first? Maybe because I might accidentally answer the question. In, okay, in okay. Scene. Well, so I want to call it one scene that I remember from that movie. Like he was on a jet, and then his schedule was like super packed, and he was like basically like working like a machine. So it's, anyway, it's a whole documentary on Steve's life and his travels and all that. And yeah, I guess my question is, I don't have many people on on the show that will talk about actually creating a documentary. So I'm like wondering from a marketing perspective, what did that do for his brand? Sure. All right. So like, I'm glad you I'm glad you asked first because I would. Can kid it. So that documentary began first me on a plane myself watching the Katy Perry documentary, going, Oh, Steve's story is more interesting than this. Like his father founded Benny Hanna, his model was a you know a supermodel. He was the kind of the black sheep, drove an Isuzu rodeo that only he knew how to start, lived in a terrible little apartment, didn't get any money from his family, just like was complete, like swore off the money and you know, became this kind of hipster god into the EDM superstar. That sort of that sort of journey is like, oh, that's interesting. I just thought it would be a cool story to tell. And there was a Justin Bieber documentary and I didn't know anything about how to make a documentary other than I, I had some experience in film and TV. So I just called Relationships. It took us five years to make the movie. You know, if you watch the movie, there's a line in there where he says, I think he says, I'm 31 years old and I just don't want to waste any more time. Something like that. He was 36 when it came out. Actually, so I think he says I'm 36 and he was 40 when it came out. But there's a five-year gap from the quote to the movie because that's how long it took for me to like think of the idea find a producer who thought it was a cool idea, find a director who was into it, find the financing and jump through all those hoops. We 
didn't make money on it. Just very plainly, like I think the investors turned a profit and even that it was very small, but it definitely changed his life. It changed his life in two ways. One was the dumb luck of it being on Netflix back when Netflix only put out a couple of things a, year, a month. So we were like, there were like four new pieces of content on Netflix that month and they had just gone international. So it used to be like US, Canada and like based a little bit of Europe. They went from like, I think it was like 16 countries to 120 countries a month and a half before our thing came out. So suddenly it was all over Asia and Latin America. So that was a big deal. And the other thing it helped was it kind of humanized Steve. And if you don't, you know, you're not, this is very inside baseball, but in the EDM community, he's always been sort of polarizing of like, oh, he's a sellout or he's too commercial or too this and too that. And EDM had become like so big and he was like such a big poster boy for it that there was a lot of haters. And Steve had a lot of trust in the director and he really let his guard down and let them film it sort of warts and all and let them put, I mean, there's a scene in there where he's like yelling at me. <laughs> yeah. On the phone, I, was, I remember watching I'm like, oh God, I sick that. I was like, I can't on the one hand tell Steve, just let them leave that in. And then the one time I looked poorly, hey, let's take that out. So I had to suck it up. But the director who I went to, like, hey, Steve has this cool story. The director actually made something different than what we had pitched in a good way. The director, like, there's a big, if you watch the film, there's a very big subtext of this is really a father-son story. You know, Steve lived, grew up in his father's shadow, never really had that relationship with him that most people have the relationship with. They lived a country, I'm sorry, lived on opposite sides of the country. And his father was this huge global superstar. And, He's living in a two-bedroom house in Newport Beach, you know, where no one knows who he is. So, you know, the whole movie is kind of about how his father passed away young, and he's been sort of living in his father's shadow posthumously, you know, seeking that level of approval and that, seeking that connection. That's not something we came up with. That's something a great artistic director came up with. And had we made the movie, we thought, like, oh, cool, Steve's big and famous. And he plays on the movie he made, people cried. People or people got inspired by his work ethic. Like, it humanized him to so many people. And we would be in airports in Atlanta and some you know, woman in her 40s would come like, oh, I saw the movie. I loved you. I loved your dad. This is so cool. And getting like different age, different people so far outside of his demographic just because it was on Netflix and it was one of four things to watch. And hey, I, it was the backdrop was he's a DJ, but that wasn't the story at all. You know, that was just like, you know, a quick summary. And to that point, like the two takeaways I think I got the most from people was, I need to go hug my mom and I need to go work harder because he is the hardest working person like I've ever met. And most people have ever met like at any given point, I'm getting 50 WhatsApp from of him from new ideas and things we should be doing. Like, dude, everyone's plate is so full. You know, but this is a great one. Like, All right, here we go. There's never a dull moment. I love that, man. So key takeaway is not necessarily to make a documentary. It's to tell a good story. That's the key takeaway yeah. I got. One of the key takeaways. And anything, anything you do. The point is to tell a good story. NFTs. We get an email. I'm looking at one right now. There's always some project launching. We're going to do this. And here's the art. The art looks really cool. Like, that's all fine. Why are you doing this? What's it for? Well, we're going to give, we're going to donate to charity. You're donating, you know, $50,000. Like, <laughs> you're making $3 million. Like, why are you doing this? If the goal is just to make money, like, listen, we all want to make money. Don't get me wrong. But like, tell a story. There needs to be a narrative. Right. Mm. Board Apes had a narrative. Doodles have a narrative. You know, the art is great. And honestly, sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes like community vibes just rule all. But even then, they told a story. Their story was no story. The art speaks for itself. And the ones that work, and I find the ones that work on community vibes, 
usually have the lowest level of art. You know, it's not the cool, hyper-realistic 3D rendered, you know, ape derivative. It's 8-bit toads. Yep. Yeah. Too many derivatives, man. So I'm curious. I mean, we've talked a lot about kind of NFTs. We talked about Steve. And just so three more questions from my side. Now, seriously, three more questions. What's kind of the Matt Collin goal for the next, what's the 10-year outlook? Because you do a lot of different things. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know. I have no idea. I mean, this 10-year outlook, listen, that's like more like in NFT world, it's six months. You're like, that's asking me what I'm doing this summer. And even then, I don't know. This space moves so I mean, like the, the short-term outlook is we're growing our music management business. We're growing it in terms of like territories and genres and diversity of people of color. I'm trying to grow a, a management business, but what I'm really doing in tandem is preparing for a paradigm shift in the way people, and in Web3, the way people look at community and the way people look at ownership and the way people engage with their audiences. It's happened you know, it's Web3, it's called Web3 for reasons. It's happened three times in the last, you know, three decades, right? So like we went from an analog society to a digital society in the 90s with the advent of the internet. And then we went from kind of consuming information via the internet to contributing information, right? And when social media came around, Web2, suddenly we're a participant in the internet. We're posting photos, we're posting updates. You know, we're learning from each other. We're not, no one's reading the news anymore. They're just reading headlines and reading what their friends are saying. Yep. And now we're in this new version of Web3 where now we own the internet. Right now, the digital, our identities we can own, our assets we can own, our, if you really want to go so far, you can go to the whole metaverse concept of like, I have a digital apartment and like you're full on ready player one. But I think that in and of itself is going to be a paradigm shift for pretty much every industry. And there is not a conversation to a fault, I will add, because I don't think most people are not ready for like, I can't have a single conversation or a brand or something. Oh, and NFTs. We want to do NFTs too. They don't even know. They don't know what they are. They don't know what it is. They just know it's want to, yeah. the cool thing. Now, it's an, in their defense, they're quasi right. They're too soon. They don't know what they're talking about. But ultimately, it's going to change everything. It's going to change the paradigm the same way streaming changed the paradigm of music and digital and, and streaming at home. Like It will upend everything and there will be winners and there will absolutely be losers and we're all i'm trying to do is i I have no crystal ball i can't predict the future i can just prepare for the best and prepare for the worst and try and position ourselves to be at least ahead of everybody else i was having a conversation today here's some perspective related to what you said so you have apple and then you have microsoft right and so i think they're two trillion each or so but if you combine all the unicorns in the world and you combine the entire market cap of crypto it still doesn't add up to these two companies so that just shows how much of a gap there is right now and how much room there is to grow and it's not a zero-sum game i think the pie expands yeah. but that's some food for that well, well i mean and what will more likely happen is some of them will survive some of them won't, but like Imagine what happens when Apple introduces NFTs. Mm-hmm. That well, I, will open C capital up to Apple? Probably not, because Apple will go from two to ten trillion. Because now they've introduced a whole level of ownership. Now people can buy and sell their apps on their iPhone and their assets, and they're taking a piece of all of that. They're already taking thirty percent of every app you buy and yeah. every in-game purchase you make. Now, when you make an in-game purchase, they not only take thirty percent of your of the new power up and the new skin in Fortnite, they're going to take thirty percent of the of, of your secondary market sale. Yeah, like the, the, the smart ones, and there will be the Yahoo's of the world that get left behind by Google or something like. Some of them will not pivot, you know. But I have a little doubt that you know companies like an Apple are going to, you know. Generally, in my experience, Apple comes to the party late, but they come to the party best. Yep, 
They're the last ones to have smartphones, the last ones to do anything. But it's so well done. It's so elegant. They're like, okay, I get, I get why it took you so long. There'll be an Apple car 10 years after everyone else has self-driving cars. You're like, oh, okay, the but the Apple yeah I, and i got by the way i'm a pc person so don't don't get me wrong just i just microsoft is there like there will be winners and losers but 100 like it, uh i don't see nfts catching up to the current like even of these companies are you know it's these companies are just going to get exponentially bigger the same way you couldn't have a company this big before the internet you know mm-hmm. the company just got bigger because the internet allowed them to get bigger now they came global yeah, like I said, it's not a zero-sum game. We get to participate. So it is what it is. Final question from my side. You can say this. You can pick business or personal. So favorite book, business or personal, what do you got? Oh, uh, interesting. Favorite book. Favorite book of all time. Childhood is always The Outsiders. But recently I read what I really like was a, the Netflix with No Rules Rules. I think, I think the name of it. Mm-hmm. No, I say it's just an interesting take on how to, and I honestly, it really applies to a lot of things. It's how to run a business, but it's, you know, a take on you shouldn't have to manage this goes really shouldn't have to manage good employees is really what it comes down to right a good employee when you find yourself micromanaging your employee telling them what to do checking when they check in check out because they're a bad employee mm-hmm. yeah and, and i don't know there's no bad people they're not a fit there's no trust but the probably the best way when you have a great great person that works for you whether it's a friend when you have someone great in your life, your friend, an employee, a boss, you don't ask questions when you think it's done well, it's done right. You know, can you pick me up at the airport? You, the person who never fails, you don't ask like, are you going to be there on time? The person who's always late, hey, I'm going to send you this information one more time. Hey, dog, have you left the house yet? Like you micromanage because you don't really have to trust in them. And I, so that book just really applies it to the workplace. Like all the things that we sort of fall into, the bad habits of our personal lives sort of fall into our professional lives. And it, you know, there's a lot of eye-opening. And a lot of it is just like, a lot of it is just pulling the Band-Aid. We spend so much time, you know, tiptoeing around each other and trying to be polite. And we're really not doing each other any favors. Yep, 100%. You know? yeah. By the way, all the Netflix books are good. I mean, there's Powerful, the culture book, right? So there's this one as well. They're all good. The culture, one, the culture one's my next read. Yeah, it's a good I, th- one. I think the one who did the, the culture one came first, did it not? Culture one came first, yeah. Yeah, because it's the same author that like, she was brought in to do the culture book and then ended up doing the interviews and it led to the second book. Yeah. So listen, it's not it's not the Bible, but it definitely changed some of my oh, or maybe solidified my perspective on some things. And it's very freeing to be like, you know what? Just go do the work. And if it sucks, it sucks. I mean, we'll deal with that. Versus yeah. I don't I don't need to see 40 iterations of whatever it is you're working on. Totally. Well, Matt, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Twitter, I guess, is probably the best one. I mean, it's for the, the NFT audience, unless you want to see photos of my kids. Twitter, it's Mattavelli, which is a, sadly something I picked from college when I was a Tupac fan, but it's my name, M-A-T-T-A-V-E-L-L-I, Mattavelli, you know, slash Mattavelli. Dude, it's it's um, way easier to follow you on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's easier to follow me on Instagram. But no, you'll, your, your, your Twitter name's hard. <laughs> Instagram is gonna yeah you'll you'll but on Instagram you just get photos of kids, which is fine. If you like three and five year olds, please come on my Twitter. It is a uh, gold treasure trove. All right, Matt. Thanks so much for doing this. All right, thank you. Good to meet you. Good to see you. 
You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.